Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. I'm going to be taking a look at the death of Captain Marvel, uh, Marvel's first quote-unquote graphic novel. Uh, first, I would like to invite you guys to like, follow, comment, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, if you hit the bell notification icon, it helps mitigate the Kayfabe effect so that we can deliver you these uh, videos before anybody else. And if you see the comic, you dig it, you think you have some ideas of wanting it, if it's on your wish list on Amazon, and it was up there for $22, and you didn't pull that trigger, it's going to cost you $90 by 6 p.m. that very night. And uh, if you watch these videos to the end, uh, what happens is that gooses the YouTube algorithm, pushes this video content out to other comic book-loving YouTube viewers who don't necessarily know about cartoonist kayfabe just helps out the channel helps increase our subscriber numbers and listen man at the david l lawrence convention center downtown pittsburgh that warehouses the biggest the world's biggest furry convention i think we could have a cartoonist kayfabe convention in that space uh, that would take up that amount of uh, real estate but we just need a big subscriber base to do that so jimmy you and i we took a look at the daredevil bill sinkevich Marvel graphic novel, and we're talking like you know what's what's the, what's the other one? What's the, what's the sec, what's the second best of those? Uh, I'm not here to tell you that the second best is the death of Captain Marvel, but it is the first, and uh, this is a reprint from the '90s of uh, the death of uh, Captain Marvel. So it's not the same format. Uh, it's a little slighter, you know, less less than that uh, that kind of magazine size format that we're used to with those Marvel graphic novels. But this is this is the OG. We're trying some new things. It's a Bleeding Edge comic by Jim Starlin. And one of the things I want to point out to people that is really worth having is uh, the Essential Warlock, if you can get it. It's another one of those great essentials. We were showing off uh, other essentials, and people were like, well, what are the other great ones we should get? If you could find Warlock, you need to get your hands on it because you're getting some primo Gil Kane in the first half and pristine black and white getting to see how he builds those figures without any fuss or muss on top of it. You're getting a cool period of Herb Trimpey uh, sprinkled in the middle there to kind of bridge you between the, the early stuff and the cosmic stuff of uh, Jim Starlin, who takes over in the back half and completes the saga. Uh, and just the sheer density of line, the density of verbiage, and that Jim Starlin storytelling, man, is, uh, you know, much... Much revered, man. Much remembered from uh, people who check this stuff out uh, the first go-round. And uh, potentially for you and me, Jim, I know I was an uh, Infinity Gauntlet motherfucker when I was a little dude. Checking those things out and seeing these weird-ass characters. Wondering what that's about. And went back and got my uh, 80s Warlock reprints. That's how I first uh, first saw Warlock in that 80s reprint. This Magus guy, man, he's so not a threat. He looks like uh, Richard Simmons. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. Like, I'm not in fear, in fear of that guy at all. It's cool to see Starlin's work in black and white. Like, this, this is an era whenever the black and white stuff was done in a way that was, like, complete illustration. Yeah. And that color was kind of a sales mechanism on top of it. But, like, when they first started doing these essentials, that was one of the things I loved was just seeing these artists without any of the color on. Like, like just show me their art. This is one of those famous pages. It's from that Marvel Abrams book about the uh, 50th anniversary of, of Marvel Comics. And first time I saw this image, it was in there. And loved the idea of, like, no panel borders and just seeing this monologuing, you know, himbo <laughs> <laughs> telling this story. But... uh one of the reasons I'm showing this off, not just because of the Starlin connection specifically, but this 
this volume basically collects the entire saga and the very last page of comics gives us Thanos in that uh in that sort of statue that we're going to see him in uh in the death of Captain Marvel graphic novel here lies Adam Warlock you know Adam Warlock I say man Starlin's a, a character killer yeah <laughs> the first anyhow there's a little upfront piece let's take him to the death of Captain Marvel Jimmy I had never read this before this week so interesting to uh you know like like it is important when you encounter this stuff sure and uh first thing you I noted is the color is wild yeah like they're really going for this coloring and that's Steve Olaf on the colors and I mentioned it because like again and again we see Steve Olaf's name whenever there's digital innovations you know in Akira and into the 90s um, but you also see it with this stuff where they're doing blue lines and they're painting on the uh, you know applying the color via paint and then separating it through a photo process uh, it's Steve Olaf once again yeah yeah we're gonna have to pull pull on Uncle Steve's coat and have a have a chat with him about uh his his experience and some of the things that he brought to the table because he's there in the bleeding edge of all of it man this would be the bleeding edge i mean it's not like marvel was doing very much blue line stuff they had epic illustrated uh, existing yes. before this and played with different formats of 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 color probably on the strength of uh you know what what they saw being done in heavy metal and things yeah, they, they go for it in production on these Marvel graphic novels. You know, like it feels like this is something that they planned and tried to do the best they could. It wasn't just a uh, a cash grab. It was like, we should be publishing good graphic novels if this is a thing now. Yeah. And uh, what it amounts to is a, pr a, a pretty good comic book that's talking about some maybe some subject matter that would be a little heavy on the newsstand for like a little kid who's, who's uh, just grabbing this off the shelf or something, man. Like this is, you know, there's a little bit more in terms of subject matter here that uh Jim Starlin is is tackling with uh basically we have Captain Marvel recording his memoirs because he knows that he's toast he has cancer and uh when you see these rounded off panel borders you could tell that that's a flashback sequence exposition <laughs> and yeah he's just giving us a little intro I was uh I was pretty mad when I started reading this and it's like wow this is exposition heavy. absolutely i was mad when it's like uh some of these super saturated colors are underneath this black uh line art lettering that is kind of impossible to read in spots yeah but you have to figure that out because i promise you that the color did not look like this on the original boards it's what happens when you're shooting light at the thing that you're scanning or taking photographs of that uh that saturates that color it's what happens when you make like a color Xerox or whatever. I don't often hear people talk about Starlin's art as being um, super detailed. You know, I feel like in the 90s, we grew up with this line density, again, as Frank Miller says in that Eisner Miller book, but we came to worship that kind of like lots of lines, lots of quote unquote detail. Starlin has all that. Yeah. You know, it feels like he would be a guy that would be worshiped for that as being one of the early, uh, you know, pioneers of that kind of like lots of lines, comparable George Perez, yeah. you know, is something that comes to mind looking at, at this art. A lot of mid shots, a lot of full body figures in, in this comic. Uh, the other thing that is, oh, there's your Thanos coming up. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing that stands out to me is, did they have to kill Captain Marvel for a reason? Like, I can't imagine like you show up and go, hey, uh, Jim Shooter, here's the pitch for the first Marvel graphic novel. Let's take one of our characters and kill him. Right. 
it's it seems like such an unlikely idea for a story for the launch of a new big publishing risk um you know like it's it's wild like i can't reverse engineer how you get to this point right yeah i i think uh i, re- I read somewhere that Jim Shooter wanted to use the Captain Marvel title for something for a different kind of character, and of course, who who, who gets the helm is that uh, Rambo? What I forget her first Monica. name. Monica Rambo, Captain Marvel character. You know that co- that comes right after this, so this is a way of to free up the name. Yeah, I guess so. It just is. Uh, just I don't know, man. It seems it seems wild to uh, write off a character this way. I wonder if Jim Starlin had had lost somebody to cancer or something like there there are definitely he's looking at the grieving process in many different points of view and and that was a thought that was in my mind uh throughout the reading of this because he it follows the like what seven stages like through various other various different characters you yeah. know you you have the characters who are angry about it you have characters who are um accepting of it yeah it's interesting how these different characters respond and you talk about your dark type on a dark background that's probably the most egregious like that is almost black ink on black ink it's so interesting too like the printing of this because of the slipped plates and one of the things that happens in your photostat process because we're used to comics and you hear four color and it's the colors are all built by cyan magenta and yellow when you go to this photo separation, now the colors are built with cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Right. And I think that's what maybe in the early days, you're not quite sure how that's going to work. Yeah. That that makes perfect sense, too. So the black line has, has a magenta in it. And that would explain why when we see the plate shift, like I'm looking at magenta in, instead of like the blue line, which would be um, what would be colored underneath. Sometimes you see the blue line show up when it's like a different... No, that's not right. The uh, black line is shot separate. You actually have five pieces. Okay. Because uh, the black line shot separate, which is why your type is sharp. Right. I see. Um, Yeah, I don't know why that legacy line would be under there, unless it's something that shows up on the blue line. If just from painting on top of it kind of creates a darker line, even Hmm. though the blue line starts out super light, but maybe once you put a couple of of washes over top of it, it, it darkens it up maybe. I don't know. It's it's a strange thing. Maybe the edges are built up a little bit more when you're coloring. I, I notice that sometimes whenever if I'm painting something and I like that effect, but the edges get built up just because you're sort of like really delineating that part, you know, even if it's just in color. Right. It's, I'm just fascinated that like there is a magenta line like it's mm-hmm. not it's not a blue line. So are they coloring you know what? magenta? May, yeah, maybe they are shooting it and the lettering is the only thing on a separate layer. Yeah. But it does create like problems. It's how you end up with muddier colors than maybe you envisioned having. We see it in digital all the time when people color and have black as part of their color. Yeah, and you, and you know what? You are you are right in this case for sure, man. This is very very tight lettering. But uh, there will be comics where you see mm-hmm. the lettering uh, yes. shift with different color plates, and I always was like, "What the fuck is that? How does that work?" And that still happens in digital. You know, yeah, you end it does. Up with your, with your uh, four color blacks. Wow, that was a lot of pages of us just talking about something no one cares about. <laughs> that's, a, that's what they come to the Kayfabe channel for, Jimmy. This story is interesting, uh, you know, because the cancer is such a different kind of enemy or antagonist, 
it's pretty interesting how Starlin is able to not just do all that exposition. I was yeah. mad when I started reading this on pages two and three, where it's like, is this really what this is going to be? <laughs> and he finds ways to not do that. Like yeah. he does find these ways to have different characters show up and have some like very different scenes, as you say. Maybe it's the seven stages of grief, um, but it's it's good storytelling for something that could be done terribly. I uh, see this as a direct sort of consequence of. Um... You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a son of Stan Lee kind of comic, but it's also uh, harkens back to, like, the Denny O'Neill, Neil mm-hmm. Adams, Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff, where they're handling some different types of subject matter. They're doing it their way. Uh, they're doing it the way they know how. It would be... You're, you're sort of... Jim Starlin is not shooting for Will Eisner territory or, like, you know, some sort of tremendous literary feat. This isn't an Art Spiegelman comic. He's trying to make a really, really good comic that's that's talking about some other subject matter, still using cape characters. Like yeah, it's, it's a cape it's, comic. It's a bizarre mix of these different tones and languages. You do not see very many superhero comics that try this because right. it's almost impossible to pull off. You know, like <laughs> there was a skull uh, in his eye- eyeball, you know, like reflecting in his eyeball. It's such a uh, contrast like in terms of language you know what the language of this genre is versus what you're trying to talk about in this story part of the magic in a way because it's you don't see too many comics like that he plays with silence really good and it's always the same pregnant pause uh that's in relation to his health or something before he says something and look at that right there that's that's a vicious little moment and we're probably going to turn the page to probably one of my favorite pages in this comic where we see this guy, forgive me if I, I am not up on my cosmic lore um, with with these various characters and stuff, but... This... Yeah, they all have like heavy names like Eros and Mentor and stuff like that. Yeah. That may be Mentor. This is, I'm glad you pointed this one out because there'll be a few of these panels where I feel like he's trying stuff, you mm-hmm. know, with the compositions and hopefully we'll, we'll catch them as we go and point out because there's some stuff that's just unusual um, throughout here and I feel like that Starlin really thinking and and you know trying to figure this out like how do you address some of this stuff visually yeah yeah this is this is a good piece coming up where this old dude is asking him like did you tell your old lady yet he's like not yet man so we see him at this little terrace there's our home girl and then we get this like single page piece that's perfect perfectly done man you don't need a word you sell it through body language and things. Bits of this remind me of like the studio, you know, some of the more ornate line work. Yeah. And I'm sure that Starlin was looking at that stuff. You know, I think comics were pretty small at that time. And if you were interested in this and clearly he's he's a visual guy, you're going to be looking at what your peers are doing and what, what you know, boundaries people are pushing. Yeah. I mean, you said the P word, man. Those guys are his peers. A little bit more exposition pieces because we've got to build Rick Jones into the into the comic man rick jones the the, the best marvel character <laughs> certainly has had kind of the coolest life yeah he's dealt he's seen more than a watu the watcher <laughs> yeah those two should be hanging out swapping stories <laughs> this is the kind of stuff like 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 tom loves starlin so much but there will be like these like weird characters it's just like a big head with hands coming off it and he's like that character just disgusts me. <laughs> and, and I would bet that this is one of them, too. <laughs> that looks like actual press button, except actual press button got pushed even further. <laughs>
You know, even the mix of like the superhero characters that we think of as like the New York Marvel characters against the uh, cosmos is kind of uh, one of those juxtapositions that stands out. Mm, yeah. He really puffs up Thanos, man. Like, you know, you can tell that that's a proud achievement in Starlin's canon, you know, because takes that opportunity to draw a bunch of this stuff. Look at that right there, man. Drop that from the black plate. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Cartoonist Kayfabe is sponsored by us and the comics that we make. So please support our latest comics, the best way to support this channel, starting with my next book, Hulk Grand Design Monster and Hulk Grand Design Madness. These will be in your stores in March and in April, respectively. These are the main covers here, retelling the history of the Incredible Hulk. Uh, 500 plus issues, 10,000 plus pages retold in two oversized issues with some really great variant covers to choose from, including Ed Piscors, Marcos Martin, Peach Momoko, and whenever we get into the Hulk Grand Design Madness, Jeff Darrow, Ed McGinnis. So let your co comic shop know you want these, and uh, it's March, Ed. These are going to be out in stores any minute now, so start picking those up. Speaking of, available now. New season of Red Room by Ed Piscor. Trigger warnings. Red Room Antisocial Network, the collection. Both of these are now available in comic shops all over the world. This is the main cover for Trigger Warnings starting the uh, 2022 season of Red Room. Uh, if you like violence and, and depravity, we're about to up the level of that and uh, start looking for Red Room Trigger Warnings number two. This is the cover to, uh, to seek out. That'll be coming to your local store in April. You can also pick up our back catalog from Ed Piscor, WYSIWYG, Hip Hop, Family Tree, four deluxe oversized volumes available, as well as box sets telling the history of hip hop, the book that started the Grand Design Craze, X-Men Grand Design by Ed Piscor, three oversized treasury size edition volumes available telling the complete history of the X-Men. And my books that are still available in print everywhere, books and comics are sold. The Plain Janes, the first young adult graphic novel here in America, and Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive. And now back to our regular scheduled programming. These, like, elongated characters, like, I, I, I really like it. It's small, so super small head. Super heroic. Like, uh, Giordano says nine heads for a superhero. I bet if you measure that out, it's at least 12. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, that's a Rob Liefeld proportion. Totally. Like, guys would criticize him a generation later for that, but it's kind of cool looking here. It's part of that fandom that I associate Starlin as coming out of. Totally. You see this in black and white. Like like those Warlock, that essential that we just looked at, man, it looks like the best of fandom artwork. And I don't say that in a disparaging way. It's just clear that Jim Starlin got his drawing chops uh, from looking at John Buscema and those guys ra rather than... Yeah. Uh, you know, Wyeth and Pyle and all those dudes. Yeah, and you really see it here with a couple of these kinds of Rick Jones, normal dude next to Captain Marvel, a superhero. Yeah. When we went to that Muter Museum, the, they had a skeleton of like a very tiny person and they had a skeleton of like a 12 foot tall guy. And I remember like seeing that skeleton and it crossed my mind like that should be what Captain, that should be Captain America's skeleton. Like, like a, he should be that big. Imagine that. I like whenever a cartoonist is able to pull off that kind of like scale. Uh, you know, like Byrne used to do it with Wolverine where it was like, you make this guy shorter. Nobody does that anymore. Yeah. And whenever it's done, it's so effective. It, it, it really has an impact. 
And this is Rick Jones by way of uh, of Junior White from Breaking Bad whenever Walter uh, reveals that he has cancer and doesn't want treatments and stuff. Then fucking just kill yourself, dude. <laughs> Why don't you just die, you pussy? <laughs> <laughs> That is that reaction, though, man. I, you know. Yeah. That's one of the hard things, too, I think. If you're going to write a story like this, like, at this point, everybody has had interaction with cancer. Yeah. You know, loved one, a friend, something. And it, it, it makes it tough to, like, talk about these subjects because it's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. But it's in black and white now, you know? So, like, it's, it's hard to summarize that, represent that kind of experience. Whenever we would have these moments in this comic, like this is, it's where the comic excels to me. It does. Uh, because it, it, there's a truth that, that is in there that really feels like it's, it's like from the heart, you know, then you got to go to, to, uh, the, to me, this is the bargaining stage. This is, this is, this is Rick Jones going to the superheroes and trying to hook up with like, all of the most like scientific doctorish guys like we have to figure something out like the entirety of human history hasn't figured out cancer but like someone i care about has it so now we have to solve that problem and it's just it's one of those hard fucking scary realities man yeah it's a good scene it's a good scene in that it, there's an emotional reality and there's the yeah, we're superheroes, but we're not gods. Yeah. Like, it just, it doesn't, there's nothing we can do. We're yeah. powerless in this one fight. Yes. And it's, and, and like, this is where it's that evolution of Lee and, and Denny O'Neill, where it's like, uh, you know, I fought the Kree and I fought the Skrulls and I fought all this and, and I knew I was going to die, but like, I didn't know that something like this is what was going to take me out. Uh, Starlin is a superhero guy. He has a very specific sort of, uh, iconography to his artwork so he has to tell us that marvell is getting a little bit more wasted away and emaciated because he can't draw that and that's why he's not wearing his costume anymore right like maybe don't have the rib cage like that you know like, yes. like the the muscle titties i think that's a lost opportunity visually it like is if we could have seen that costume hanging on his emaciated frame yeah man that would have said it. you know that that would have been that image that's worth a thousand words oh totally um but you know maybe he tried it and it didn't work and this is a solution because it does call attention to it it's just a little bit different it's tell not show it's a uh, it's a stage too though you know because like now that costume's gone yeah like the superhero's gone right right and that's that's the concession that's like i need help now and that's something that like a lot of people won't you know we have proud dads and shit and it's like that idea of them asking for help sounds crazy i didn't look it up and i wish i would have looked up like what the reaction and the and the peer reaction was to this yeah because it does feel so ambitious when you think of you know, John Burns drawing Fantastic Four at this time. And, you know, it's sort of business as usual for the Marvel Comics universe. And it does feel like this is a cartoonist that's really trying something. And yeah. it doesn't all work. It's not f some flawless, this shouldn't be next to Mouse on the uh, pantheon of great graphic novels. But it is a dude really going for it. It's it's a really good superhero style comic. You know, like, that that is what it is. It's certainly a different superhero style comic, too. If you're trying to 
push the boundaries of the genre a little bit or trying to do something new that we haven't seen before mission accomplished this is one of those awkward pieces where uh it's it's uh behind an oak panel door <laughs> get some purple prose on there thanks <laughs> i think there's another one of like the uh the wood paneled corridor <laughs> like why okay <laughs> what are we adding here we got our guy showing up man from from the states to uh, pay pay respects. What is this character, man? I felt like that was from DC. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't recognize that. That ain't Etrigan. <laughs> you know, some other rhymer demon. That'd be really cool if he had snuck in a couple of Easter eggs along those lines. <laughs> that would speak to the magnitude of Captain Marvel. You know, if like uh, Batman came to 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 pay some love. Because uh, how how loved are you if Tigra is the one? That's coming to say what's up or the defenders it's like damn i didn't make enough of a mark <laughs> i got tigra yeah there's a silliness there too to uh, everybody being in their costumes <laughs> that's the thing i mean look if you're starlin and you set out to do this book that's the challenge. Yeah. How do you have Spider-Man standing there and emoting? And and, and by the way, it's a good. It, this is a good. Another good scene, yes, it really, is. Ben. So they're in their costumes. We we concede that that is what it is, man. But uh, they're coming in. Thing is is doing that thing that like that I actually prefer, where it's like let's talk some shit, let's get my mind off of nonsense, blah blah blah. And Spider-Man is just like has to dip. Yeah, I wondered if there was something going on in Spider-Man if he had had a character that died that he had lost from cancer because he's so like he's speech he's you know he stutters around stammers and then just has to leave and it, it made me think of the boy the boy in him you know like he, the, he's might be the youngest of the superheroes yeah it could be this could be his first interaction with that sort of thing kind of like some of Starlin's like the the way Spider-Man looks yeah it's almost like that uh, Bernie Wrightson one yeah you know the wonkiness of it. The big ass neck. Rick Jones making his piece, and now his enemies come to pay their respect. Yeah, yeah, that's a you know, it's a cool kind of superhero moment, man. We're like one of the your your arch nemesis is fucking come and award you a medal. Like I'm not here because I'm your enemy. I'm here because I'm like your greatest enemy. You're you're my greatest enemy. And we went toe to toe, and you fought valiantly. Like it's it's a for superhero comics, man. That's a, that's a good little sequence. Gives him a gives him a um, medal, and then that's where Rick Jones is like, man, your own people didn't even hook you up. You have your straight up bloodborne enemies come in to pay respects, but your own people didn't. And he's like, well, I'm a traitor. Yeah, this kind of stuff is pretty pretty good, I think. You know, these are these are moments where like you can imagine what's happening here minus all the super heroic fantasy elements of like, man, this this is it's complicated. You, you know, this stuff doesn't get resolved just because somebody's dying. It's not like suddenly the family is now back together. Right. What do you say with this stuff, man? Steve all is all of doing some drawing? Looks like it, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple instances of it. And it creates that depth of field when you don't have that uh that black line. I wonder if, if that's something they communicated and, and it was clear like, hey, this should be interpreted as a window as opposed to like a pattern. Because it would have been easy to have that be almost a piece of modern art on the wall. Sure. Uh, for lack of a better word for it. But you could have colored that almost as like those segment, like segments of colors and shapes. Yeah, or I, like the way that I could 
interpret that myself would be like marble, like create like a marble mm -hmm. texture. And there it is, dude. Nice, cool blue to signify the death. Unfair, man. That's that's a word that you hear a lot in, in a situation like this. And then we have our kind of surrealistic Starlin moment. With a with a superhero death. And you see the impact of the uh, the costume returning, the identity. Yeah, and he's his whole self, and it's that whole idea. You know, my uh, the day my grandma died, I had a dream of her earlier that day, and it was uh, like a young, vital version of herself before the call came, and like I'll never forget that stuff. So there's like there's that whole idea that when you get brought back, you're not brought back, or not, not brought back, but like if there's an afterlife, it's not your emaciated cancer-ridden form it's like the vital you i like uh some of the comics the cartooning here like thanos stepping through that portal and you get the leg on one side and that's him on the sick. other side it's 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 cool visual that's sick man another opportunity for uh for steve olive to go kind of ham with that color and do a lot of things man this is one of those this things is that uh that line printing that you're talking about too yeah that slip huh but it's not on the it's not on the lettering no, no, dude right yeah, so they really, that lettering is its own thing. You you're hundred percent right on that sh on that shit, dude. Like, it's weird. Learning to draw this version of the legs, like this view of the legs, comes last in your like drawing education. Maybe never. Maybe it might, it might never happen if you're not drawing uh, what pornography. I <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so when you figure it out, you want to show it off a lot. And in my sketchbooks, I have a lot of like the back of the leg thing. And sometimes, like, when I'm with, uh, you know, at my folks' house with, like, little nieces and nephews, like, I'll draw views that are, like, more complicated. But nobody's impressed by that. Like, they want to see, like, the cool front-on hero shot. But, like, you or I could, like, look at that and be like, yeah, not bad. <laughs> Pretty good. You can see the Gilcane in there. Yeah. You can see the Fletcher Hanks in this. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but you're totally right. You see the Fletcher Hanks in lots of these little glimpses, you know, these yeah. serious moments next to the whole cast in costumes, you know. It's, you just can't help yourself. He's wiling out, man. Yep. Crossing over to death. And here we go. Death does not ride a pale horse. She's a chick in a cloak from Spirit Costumes. <laughs> And there's some of your uh, your color value kind of transitions as he's checking out. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's like you you it looks like three of the same image. Mm -hmm. Like it's not withered. It's like the color could have helped a lot. It could have. Yeah, it, it, the color should have desaturated as we got into the shadowy screens there. Yeah. And there it is, man. Final words of the of the graphic novel. He's gone. I can remember this being somewhat at least referenced i don't know about revered but whenever i started reading like this was still you would get a mention of it here and there you know sure. um probably around the time that uh infinity gauntlet or something was coming up and they were talking cosmic stuff and talking about starlin's background with these characters but i can remember like coming across mentions here and there from different uh magazine promos that i would read yeah i don't think this will be the last uh, marvel graphic novel we look at we looked at the uh Hooky, the Spider-Man Bernie Wrightson one. We have a video of that. We have a video of Starlin Wrightson 
Thing Hulk uh, graphic novel. We did Daredevil, Bill Sienkiewicz, Frank Miller a graphic novel. Not too... I don't think uh, it'll be too far in the future before we do Heartburst. There's a Spider-Man Charles Vess one where he goes to Scotland, I think. Somewhere, somewhere Scotland, Ireland, somewhere like that. And it's it's beautiful, you know. Like Vest was doing those Spider-Man covers, oh, yeah. that are striking, and like having the whole graphic novel of his. Like it's certainly eye candy. I haven't read it. I don't know how good the story is, but boy, the images are pretty. Yeah. So there, there's definitely some other uh, Marvel graphic novels that I'd be interested in looking at. Listen, Jimmy, when you're a cartoonist, kayfaber, sometimes you hold on to your comics just because you like the Ken Brusnick lettering. <laughs> Very true. You good to go? I am. Kayfabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, Jim? Hulk Grand Design Monster and Hulk Grand Design Madness coming to your comic stores in March and April. If you haven't pre-ordered those already, tell your local comic shop to reserve a copy for you. They might still be able to pre-order those. And uh, join me on patreon.com slash jimrug. Red Room Trigger Warnings, issue one, out on the stands today. Uh, every issue is completely self-contained, and it'll be coming out on a monthly basis. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game. In Red Room Comics, you could read those comics before uh, they hit paper at my Patreon, patreon.com slash edpiscor. There's three bucks for the archive there, more than 200 pages of comics, including the entire uh, anti-social network season of Red Room Comics. Uh, what else do we have, Jim? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. That's another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Jimmy, give them the marching orders. We'll be on our way. Read more comics.